on today's show, the latest news with the Atlanta Hawks, as well as the coaching staff stuff, some mailbag questions, perhaps some Jalen Brown talk, all of that and more on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1470 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday afternoon. And today's show is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the promo code LockdownNBA for $20 off your first purchase with Game Time. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. I also want to encourage you at the top of the podcast to make us your first listen each and every day. Check us out anywhere you get your podcast. That includes Apple and Spotify, Stitcher, as well as YouTube on the video side. And I appreciate you joining me. On this big week episode, there's been a lot of Hawks talk going on in this space over the last couple of weeks. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard for sure. But if you're a recurring everyday listener, we definitely appreciate that as well. We've had all kinds of guests in the last couple of weeks since the season ended and no plans to slow down anytime soon. Uh, We had Glenn Willis on the show to begin this week with a two-part episode. All kinds of deep dive stuff there on X's and O's and Glenn's fantastic dialed into the Hawks each and every day. We have my friend Tower Jones. Noted Hawks fan and uh, really dialed into the things uh, with regard to the Hawks as well. He was on for an extended two-part episode at the end of last week. We also had Brian Schroeder on the program for some draft talk at the beginning of last week. So it's been very busy, different topics, and uh, it is mid-May now almost. And the draft is like six, seven weeks away. So we're getting very close to that. We'll have a ton of wall-to-wall draft coverage in the coming days. But on today's episode, we'll be diving into some mailbag questions, some news, and what I would describe as the big picture question uh, that I've been getting the most in recent days, which, ha- which happens to do with Jalen Brown and, in- and any potential Hawks interest or potential ways that could actually happen in the near future. We'll get into all of that at the end of the podcast. We'll start, though, with the news. And uh, the closest thing that actually is news on this particular Wednesday is that Mike Scotto of Hoops Hype reported that several assistant coaching candidates have, quote, emerged to potentially fill Quinn Snyder's staff for next season. <clears throat> That includes Brian Bailey and Alex Jensen, uh, Igor Kokoskov, and Antonio Lang, according to his sources at Hoops Hype. One thing you'll immediately notice with regard to this is that all four of the reported names have ties to Quinn Snyder. That's not a huge surprise. If you follow how this stuff works around the NBA, um, most staffs have some ties to the head coach, especially new guys who are coming in who have um, extended track records. Obviously, Snyder's been around for a long time as a head coach, as assistant coach, etc. It's been reported Widely, I think Zach Klein and Woj and others have reported that the staff is going to be overturning almost entirely, which makes a lot of sense. And um, just as far as like who's these who these guys are, I'll kind of do the short version right now. Kokoskov is the most well-known probably because he was the head coach of the Suns for a year. He also worked under Snyder for three years in Utah, has been the head coach of the Serbian national team before coaching Luka and Nikola Jokic, etc. Uh, he's also very respected as an assistant, worked in Sacramento and Dallas as well as in Brooklyn. Alex Jensen is the guy that I've been most confident the whole time would probably end up on Snyder's staff. Nothing official, obviously, but he has been tied to Snyder for a long time. He was assistant under, under Snyder for eight years in Utah. He was actually the lead assistant for the Jazz at the time of uh, Quinn's departure from Utah. He was also the interim guy for a few games when Snyder got COVID during the 2021 season, I believe it was. He'd be a very logical candidate if you're looking for one for the head assistant job, lead assistant job, the job that Joe Prunty had last year. It was Melvin Hunt under, under Lord Pierce, et cetera. It was the Nate under Louis Pierce for a brief time as well. Um, 
Also, Brian Bailey was in Utah for two or three years. Antonio Lang was in Utah for five years. And with Cleveland, the last four years, also with regard to Lang, he played under Snyder when he was on the staff at Duke. So they've been going a long time back. That's like 25, 30 years ago. But still, these guys have close ties together. Also a reminder right now as well, the Hawks have not announced this just yet, but it's been widely reported that Mike Bray is going to join the staff. He's the former Notre Dame head coach for two plus decades, and he and Snyder go way back to Duke as well. So it is still early in the process with regard to assistant coaches, and the playoffs are still ongoing. A lot of guys actually end up waiting until the entire landscape kind of dials down. Their head coaching job's still open. Toronto's still open. Milwaukee's still open, et cetera. And that in, uh, kind of usually leaves things a little bit uncertain until all the head jobs are filled and kind of trickles down from there. So we'll probably have some more clarity in the coming weeks, but these are uh, definitely some names to keep an eye on. I'm not sure if they're all four be on the staff, but certainly um, I think Jensen's probably most likely, and you get into other guys who have been around Sider as well, and I'm sure he'll have uh, plenty of irons in the fire with regard to who's going to be on the bench come next season. The other thing that I will get to on the news front is uh, some award voting stuff. Um, I will do my best not to rant about this too much, but I do because I kind of do the same version of the same rant every year. But if you ever want to find some of the mo- most ridiculous player votes uh, on when it comes to awards uh, from the media, these are all media voter awards. They usually come in from all defensive team voting. I've said before many times, I'll say it again now for the new listeners, defense is uh, certainly undervalued in the modern landscape. I think that's definitely the, the case with fans and people don't really watch defense. I, I get all that. It's not fun to talk about. But especially if you, let's say, cover the league broadly or if you have, you know, I'm not saying anything about any man in particular in terms of voting, but it is hard and reputation usually sails a lot longer on defense than it does on offense. My favorite example of this, uh, of kind of the craziness about all defense votes, is actually Mike Scott, uh, former Hawks bench forward, made actually got a second team all defense vote in 2016, which if you were a Hawks fan then would be preposterous. He was number one, a bench player, number two, a let's just say a below average defender for his entire career, really. And even that season. So that's one funny example. There are some doozies this year as well. Before I run down some of the non Hawks ones, the only Hawks actually get all defense votes was DeJounte Murray, who got three second team votes for one. Uh, DeJounte was not even the best defender on the Hawks roster or anything close to that, honestly, this season. I think Capella was the most valuable defender over the full season for the Hawks. I would argue a Kongwu. I would argue for Collins. I would argue for Hunter all being better than Murray this year on the whole. I have been hard on Murray's defense this year. So if you're an everyday listener, you will know that. Uh, you will know that I don't agree with the voting here. Um, but I do want to put it in plain terms for people to kind of just think about what this actually means. That means three out of the 100 people, so not a huge sample size, but three people, sat down, filled out a ballot, and believed or stated on the record that they thought DeJounte was one of the four best defensive guards in the league this year. That is an insane opinion. Um, all due respect. I'm not sure who voted. We'll see eventually at the end of the awards season who voted for Murray. I will not publicly shame them. It's one of those things where like that's that's indefensible in terms of an opinion. Uh, you can certainly think that Murray was better than I believe he was this year. And yes, there is a lot of value to his playmaking and his steals and his deflections, all that. That does have value to it. But it happened three times and that's just not particularly uh, defensible. Um, I'll be short on the rest of these, but it's not a comprehensive list by any means. But I have to shout out the first place vote that both Tyrese Halliburton got and Shea Gallagher Alexander got. Uh, Halliburton even made fun of it on Twitter because I think he knows he shouldn't get a first place vote for all defense. Um, any vote for Chris Paul in 2023? I love Chris Paul, always have, but no, no chance. Uh, Desmond Bain got a the all defense vote. Not a bad defender, but not a good one either necessarily. Not at least not a great one. Uh, Scotty Barnes is I would. Just to be kind, a below average defender. He got an all defense vote. Uh, even Kevin Durant, who actually is a good defender at least, 
played 47 games, and there's just no chance he was one of the four best defensive forwards in the league this year when he was playing, plus, plus all the limited game stuff. So I can go on and on. I'll stop now, but all defense votes are pretty crazy, and uh, Murray got three. Um, he, that was more than he deserved, let's say. Also on the voting front, this is less surprising, less outrageous by any description. AJ Griffin uh, did not make one of the all-rookie teams. There are two of them. He finished 13th in the voting. It's positionless, so that's actually like literally an order. Um, only the top 10 make the top two teams, obviously. I'm not bothered by this too much. I don't. I didn't think he would, largely because of the minutes that he did not play and the counting stats. That's uh, All-rookie is one where it's, it's very heavily based on how much you play and how many points you score for the most part. AJ was 14th among rookies in minutes, and the top 10 guys who were selected were all in the top 11 in minutes, plus the guy who finished 11th with Andrew Nemhard, and he was 11th. Uh, so the top 11 guys in voting were the top 11 guys in minutes in all-rookie. So it kind of tells you what the voting is usually based on. I do think that AJ was undervalued in the voting because a lot of people just kind of look at the counting stats, and he had really good efficiency for a rookie, which does matter. He had 58% true shooting. That was third among, uh, among non-center rookies, only behind Jalen Williams and Keegan Murray. Those guys were first team selections and rightfully so. So anyway, AJ had a good, a very nice rookie year. He didn't play a ton down the stretch or at the very beginning of the season, but still uh, he was healthy all year. Knock on wood on that. A full offseason to come for skill work for AJ and uh, get some of that burst back athletically that he had in high school, but a ton of positivity about AJ right now. And I think for good reason. And the last bit of news is that um, we are three days into NBA draft workouts for the Hawks. They announced their pre-draft workouts starting a couple of days ago. There's been nobody that I would describe as a, a guy that I would be drafting in the top 60 that has come through so far, but some guys who are potential two ways, summer league invites, it is pretty early. I will not, I will not name the entire list, but some notable names. Uh, Jordan Dingle was the Ivy League player of the year out of Penn. He came through. Um, Travion Kinsey, sorry, Travion Kinsey from Marshall, potential uh, two-way guy uh, out of Marshall. Tremont, Tremont Mark from Houston is an interesting player in the backcourt. Um Anton Watson from Gonzaga came through. He's probably pretty well known because he played at Gonzaga, but not probably a draftable guy, but you know, maybe a pro at some point. Marcus Bagley, who is Marvin Bagley's little brother, uh, who played at who's actually at Arizona State, he came through. Uh, Tiger Campbell from UCLA came through. More of a college player for sure, but a guy that I really enjoy. Um, Norchad Omie from Miami, a guy who was on a deep run team with Miami and was kind of their only big on their roster, despite being only six seven or so. Alex Fudge, Matthew Meyer, it came through on Wednesday. He was once potentially thought to be a top 40 pick in the draft back when he was at Baylor. Uh, his star has fallen since then, but it's, it's an interesting kind of guy. Uh, Kevin O'Banner, Antonio Reeves, et cetera. So no huge names by any means, but as this uh, process goes along, you'll probably see some more. And the Hawks have been pretty transparent about these. You know, Back in the day when I first started covering the team, the Hawks never announced who was coming through. And now they have basically one every day that have five, six, seven players come through. It can be pros or minuses to that. Obviously, there are always teams that do um, kind of off-the-record private workouts that we will never hear about, or at least that I will hear about and not be able to share with you necessarily. But um, at least for transparency's sake, um, fans can know who's coming through if they have anybody that they're really interested in. But I wouldn't make too much of these lists at this point in time. All right. We'll get some mailbag questions in a moment. But first, we're from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Game Time. If you've ever been trying to buy tickets to a big event at the last minute, it can be stressful and probably not the best idea for your emotions or your wallets. And after all, buy tickets should not be a hassle. With Game Time, it's the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater. They have last minute deals that are killer, and they also have the best price guarantee, so you can avoid stress and start getting hyped for the fun that you're actually going to have at the event. Spring is here. There's tons of events around me in Atlanta. I'm sure there are as well, wherever you may be. And you can get flash deals, lost by tickets. It's also so easy to buy in the Find out by tickets to any kind of event you're looking for. You can see where your seats are going to actually be with images, and they have protection if your event happens to get canceled. You can forget planning months in advance as well. They have 
tickets all the way up to the day of the event. And we can come guarantee you get the best price possible. If you can find tickets in the same section or the same row for less, you'll be credited by game time 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You can buy tickets just a matter of seconds. Plus those tickets actually be delivered directly to you via your phone. Download the game time app right now. Create an account. Use the promo code locked on NBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, Create an account or redeem the promo code locked on NBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay, some mailbag questions. And by the way, if you have questions for me, I will definitely take them uh, at BT Roller on Twitter, at Locked on Hawks on Twitter. Also, Locked on Hawks at gmail.com is the official email account of the show. I appreciate everyone for asking questions. I have a stockpile, but certainly keep firing them. I won't answer them all. There are too many, which is actually a good problem to have, of course. And I try to engage with people offline as well, but always fun to have the uh, sort of the, the pile getting higher and higher as the offseason arrives. We'll have a, probably a mailbag show every week or two along the offseason. As for the questions, Jim says, if you, you said at least twice that you think Collins could more easily stay if Capella goes, can you explain why? Um, I've said it a few times, but I'll sort of get into it a little bit deeper now. Um, there are a few different factors in play here as to why I believe, and this is not something I've, I'm reporting, but I think it's easier to keep Collins if they move on for Capella. It's kind of common sense in some ways, but this, these are not really in any order. One of them is salary related, I should say. Both guys are making more than $20 million next year and the year after that. So they're uh, large salaries, not like not crippling by any means, but pretty large salaries. Collins makes more. Both are a little bit large. Um, not, not 100% clear what the Hawks' tolerance is for paying the tax at this point. That's one of the questions of the offseason for sure. But one of the ways to clear some salary potentially is to move on from Collins or Capella, get a little bit cheaper perhaps, probably not dump them entirely for nothing as far as, far as money is concerned, but maybe cut some salary off. Um, another another option and reason why it could be easier to have Collins is that he could be utilized in a way that's better for his skill set on offense if Clapella is not there. I've said this a few times, including with Tyler and with Glenn, but Collins and Capella have, exceed, have, have sort of succeeded together a lot more than people realize. And that's that's been the case in the numbers all the way through for three years, basically. Most of that, though, is because of the defense. I think offensively, it's not a secret. These guys are not the best fit in the world. Capella is a non-shooter. Collins is a better shooter than he showed this year, I believe, but still not a guy that you want um, necessarily being a bomber all the time. Akongu is not a perfect fit for Collins either, but there's definitely a world in which Akongu can space the floor a little bit more. We saw that a little bit more this year. He's more comfortable on the perimeter. You can have him be a guy in different spots, whereas Capella is kind of limited to being a pick-and-roll partner or being in the dunker spot. So having the ball handling of a Kongwu uh, and the perimeter stuff with him might uh, sort of magnify Collins a little bit better. Another one would be that if you're going to move for Capella and decided that already, I think it'd be helpful for a Kongwu to have a very solid power forward next to him who has good size and good defense, and that's Collins. Now, they have Jalen Johnson as well, which I'm not saying that's not Jalen Johnson, they were using Jalen a lot more on the perimeter defensively this year. They could do he kind of he kind of do both honestly, but having both those guys along with the Congo would not be the worst idea in the world. And finally, I do believe that in the perfect world, I think John Collins playing some small ball backup five minutes would be what a lot of teams would do with him. I'm not saying that you have to do that by any means, but I think if you put Collins on a random team, more often than not, he would be playing some center for that team. And I think right now. It's a good problem. It's not a problem at all, really. But the Hawks have 48 minutes of good center play with Capella and Okongwu. So there's not really any reason to play Collins at center with any regularity. But if you took Capella away, yes, you should probably start with Okongwu and you want to have somebody else. I'm not saying give all the backup minutes to, to Collins by any means. But having him do that, especially like him and Jalen Johnson make a lot of sense together in some ways. Jalen's got great size to be playing next to Collins. So 
you know, those are all individual reasons that are kind of related on some level. And, and again, I'm not, I've never said, and I will never say that they have to keep Collins if they move on from Clint. But I do believe it would be a lot easier to envision it happening if they move on from Clint. And as I've said before, I'll say probably 10 more times, it is very hard to overhaul your entire front court via trade. Like it's not going to be easy, quote unquote, to trade both Collins and Capella. They could do it for sure if they want to, but it's not like press button as easy as you might think from the outside looking in. All right. Question from Kelly, who says, I happen to see you respond to a troll about something that I was also wondering about. And he's uh, he or she says, when you say you're not sure what Landry Fields will be as a GM yet, are you not factoring in that he's been doing the job for a while? So <laughs> troll aside, and I, I know what, I know what that, what that refers to. I love trolls sometimes. Um, I don't think I've done a good job of, of, of explaining this. I appreciate the question. That gives me an opportunity to kind of expand a little bit more. What I mean when I say that I'm not sure about the front office yet is that um, we just don't have a record of their transactions and their mindset yet. And when I say they, I refer to Landry Fields and Kyle Korver. I do believe that Landry was part of the mix, obviously, as the number two guy. He's promoted to the GM role under Schlenk, um, you know, and the number two guy in the front office is a valuable role, but it's different. Especially when you throw in the fact that um, without going on this rabbit hole too much, the Hawks have a very active owner um, who does get involved with, with Tony Ressler. He, he denies doing that, but he does get involved. Uh, you have Nick Ressler and the stuff around that, and he's a pretty active voice, you would think. So it's different than being the number one guy out front as far as being the top GM, Pobo, whatever, on the uh, basketball side. And yes, Travis was gone by the middle of the season, and Landry was the GM at the deadline, so he was um, in charge at the deadline, but that's not the same thing as having a full offseason and a draft cycle and a free agent cycle to build a roster and be the guy with the fingerprints on the roster. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from the deadline. They, they did a good job, I thought. Um, they managed to add talent in Sadiq Bay. They got Fernando and Matthews to add some depth, and they navigated the mandate to stay out of the tax. And yes, there was a mandate to stay out of the tax, and they were able to do that and still improve at the same time. They paid a lot for that price, but still, they were able to do it. That is notable. But it does not, again, give you the same information that you had with Travis Schlenk, which is my main point, is that Travis was the GM slash president of basketball operations for years and years. And we had a record of him even dating back to Golden State and what he liked. And he was very candid about what he liked and drove past shoot, all those things. Um, Landry and Kyle have not had the opportunity to build that up yet. So it's not it's not a negative thing. So when I say that, it's not criticizing the new front office. Like We, we just don't know. And that's I say that very frankly about as someone who covers the team, it'd be great if I knew more than I do. Um, and I know more than fans would know about how they think about the game. But it's just being honest that it's not easy to have a read about this front office just yet because you also throw in the fact that you have a head coach now with Quinn Snyder who has definitely a role in the front office. How big of it is, we'll see. But in a way that Lloyd and Nate did not have, you have this extra voice with real power. So you went from Travis being the guy, other than Tony Wrestler, who was obviously involved, Travis was the guy. Then you throw in the uptick of Nick Ressler. You throw in Landry Fields. Um, and now Travis is gone. So you have Landry, you have Kyle, you have both wrestlers, and you have Quinn. That's five people. And obviously, Tony Wrestler is the final say. He's the owner. But like, there's a lot of uncertainty compared to a lot of front offices. And that's not anybody's fault that's still there now. It is what it is. Landry and Kyle will have the opportunity to put their fingerprints on, on the roster. But when I say we don't know what it's going to look like, it's because we don't know what it's going to look like. All of the players, the only player in the top 10 on the Hawks roster right now that was acquired with Landry Fields at the top of the ticket, so to speak, is Sadiq Bey. He didn't draft John Collins. He didn't draft 
DeAndre Hunter. He didn't draft even Jalen Johnson and AJ Griffin. He didn't draft Trey Young. He didn't. He wasn't. He wasn't the guy necessarily when when they traded for Dejounte Murray. He didn't. He wasn't the guy that acquired Capella and Bogdanovich, et cetera. So I'm not saying anything negative about that. It's just the reality that we just don't have the same background. Like with my number one example of this is that I knew that Travis Schlank valued certain things, and he also was the guy who paid a king's ransom for DeAndre Hunter. And DeAndre Hunter was always on the not quite untouchable list alongside Trey Young, but he was always higher in the we don't want to trade this guy list than Hawks fans wanted him to be in some respects. With with, with with this front office now, we don't know that they have that attachment to a guy like Hunter or a guy like Collins or a guy like Capella, et cetera. So anyway, long answer. Hopefully that makes a little more sense. If you have more questions about that, I'm happy to answer them. Last question before we get to another break comes from Jeff, who says, how much should I care about the, about the Hawks beating the Heat in the play-in and that the Miami is going to actually make the conference finals probably at this point? Can we take a victory lap? Um, this question I got in a couple of different forms over the last week or two. It's interesting. I'm not going to do any playoff talk today because it's in the middle of the series, et cetera. It's kind of tough to do that in, the, in sort of a midday episode. And I don't want to tell people how, like what they should care about. That's kind of up to you. I think it was a good win against Miami. I think it really helped them get ready against Boston as well. And that was a good performance in general by the Hawks. Um, does that mean the Hawks should be in the conference finals? Probably not. But if somebody asked me this actually kind of related question, and I'll answer now too, is that basically what would have happened if the Hawks did have to play Boston in the first round? Because I said before the playoffs even started that I thought Boston was the hardest matchup for the Hawks in a series. I still believe that in the Eastern Conference. I believe that, which means that, you know, they lost to the Boston, but that was a tough matchup for them. I think the Hawks would have had a very good chance against a team like Cleveland or a team like New York, who those teams were better than the Hawks in the regular season this year. But the Hawks were, um, let's just say, flat out better than the Nets by the end of the year. Um, I think that the Hawks would have been underdogs to Philadelphia or to Milwaukee, but I think the Hawks would have, would have had a better chance to beat those teams than they did against Boston. So we'll never know, of course, but I think it's it's nice to have. If you have a Heat fan friend in your life, you could say, hey, we beat you in the play-in on the road, by the way, by, the, by double digits. It was not even a close game. So uh, is that a good data point? Absolutely. Does it actually matter a ton? Maybe not, because the Heat are going to be probably, as I record this podcast, not definitely, but probably be in the conference finals, and uh, we'll see if that happens, but... Um, I do believe that Miami team got a very uh, friendly draw in the second round, let's just say, against New York, but they went out and beat Milwaukee in the first round. It was, a, it was an impressive win, and Jimmy Butler is nothing to be fooling with at this point in time. All right, one more break. Dear from our sponsors, we'll be back with one more uh, kind of deeper dive question about Jalen Brown. Stay tuned. Be right back. All right, one more question to get to from Donnie Oliver, who asks, given the rumblings associated with Jalen Brown's displeasure reportedly with Celtics fans, the current status of his contract and the hometown connections that he has. What are the odds that he ends up in Atlanta next year? And what would the Hawks have to offer in your opinion? So I'll just start here. I don't love fake trade stuff all the time, but it's, this is an interesting one because I get asked about Jalen Brown every single day. And I understand why. Um, part of that is that Boston is not, maybe not where he wants to be reportedly. We don't know that. I will be the first to know. I have no idea what Jalen Brown wants, but they got, it got even louder after on Tuesday night, Boston lost to Philadelphia at home pretty ugly in game five. And they're not dead by any means. I think Boston can win that series for sure. But they're down 3-2, and that probably doesn't help matters in Boston. And again, I'm recording this podcast between game five and game six. I think Boston could win the series. That could impact things. But if they don't, maybe more inclined to make a trade, something like that. Also, All-NBA comes out later today on Wednesday. It's not come out when I'm recording this podcast. But if that happens, if he makes All-NBA he gets uh, the ability to be offered a larger extension by the Celtics. And if he wants to stick around, maybe it's just too big of an offer to turn down. That might be interesting in some ways, but at the moment we'll see. Before we get into the machinations about this, 
I'll just remind everybody of the situation because Brown is under contract for next year. He's not a free agent, but he has one more year on his contract, about $30, $31 million, something like that. Um, he'll be unrestricted at the end of next season, which is some of why there's a lot of buzz about that, that he can change teams. Also, like the question outlines from Donnie, there'll be, there's always been a little bit of behind-the-scenes chatter that he's not love Boston. I don't know that. But if he doesn't make All-NBA and Boston can't offer a ton more, he might leave in free agency. Or maybe Boston looks up and they're like, all right, we, we got to trade him now because he, he might just leave. So we'll see. That, could, again, could, could be even louder if Boston loses in this series. But they might win the title. Who knows? Um, on the hometown thing, for anyone that does not know this somehow, Brown went to Wheeler High School in Marietta. He has local connections. Clearly, he's been seen wearing a Braves hat regularly at press conferences during the playoffs. That's created some uh, extra attention, I would say. Um, I'm not sure it means much, but he is from here. Um, some guys, just for the record, do want to play at home. That's always been a thing. Some guys really don't want to play at home. And I don't know the answer about that with Jalen Brown, but just because you're from somewhere does not mean you want to go back there. Um, sometimes they, that happens, but sometimes it, 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 it doesn't always happen, I should say. Um... I do believe that he is a much bigger topic in Atlanta right now than he would be other places because he is from here. And that makes sense. On the other hand, he's also a very obvious fit on the roster because he's a very, very good player. He's a two-way wing that every team wants. He's athletic, all that stuff. I'm not going to do the scouting report necessarily on Jalen Brown, but he's averaged 20 points a game in four straight years. He's a solid efficiency guy. Not a great shooter, but certainly can shoot, get his own shot. Uh, he's improved as a passer. He's not a great ball handler by any means. Probably his, his biggest knock on offense is his ball handling but a good offensive player for sure. Defensively, he's not elite and uh, kind of taking a jab at the all-defense voting again. He got a first-place vote. That's pretty silly in all-defense this year, but he's a good defender. He's he's very solid, athletic, certainly not a negative at all defensively. You can debate on how good he is. I've seen people think he's like a top 15 player, top 35 player, top 20 player, however you want to say that. He's a very, very good all-star level player. No question about that. So if you're a Hawks fan, you obviously want Jalen Brown, and I totally get why. He's awesome. Um, but anyway, it is kind of my job to tell you that Jalen Brown coming to the Hawks is not what I would describe as likely to happen from a probability standpoint. Likely meaning more likely than not. I would never say that until I actually had intel. It's just not likely because all things that happen have to happen. Part of that, again, he could stay in Boston on a new deal. Part of that is he gets under contract and trades are very difficult to actually do. Part of that, the Hawks are way over the cap and right now over the tax. So if he hits for agency next year, it's hard, not impossible but it's hard for the Hawks to just sign. He can't, they can't just sign him. They have to like sign, trade him, whatever. So it's not going to be easy for the Hawks to get him. At the same time, the local ties and the presence of Trey Young and a, a pretty interesting infrastructure could conceivably lead to a situation where he tries to force his way out of Boston. And as we've seen many times, guys at his level that want to get out, usually get out, and usually, not always, but usually they have some ability to kind of dictate where they're going to go. Maybe not one team, but maybe a list of teams so if Brown like really, really wants to get to Atlanta and only Atlanta, which is, again, a huge if and probably not likely, but possible, he might be able to do it. So people can dream with some realism. I would certainly would not say it's likely by any means at this point in time. And the last thing about the question from Donnie, who says basically asked about like what they have to give up. It's hard. Uh, I've already seen some very funny fake trades from Hawks fans that are not nearly enough. And I get why. A lot of it is that fans like to make trades that make their team better at a relatively low cost. Um, but Boston is not going to not going to give him away. Even if he demands out right now at the end of the season, they're going to have suitors for Jalen Brown. They don't have to give him away. He's very valuable. And as I mentioned before, he makes a lot of money, so you have to match salary. If it's a two-team deal, I think Boston probably doesn't want Click Capella because they have Robert Williams and Al Horford. 
Um, maybe even John Collins because they have Al Horford. They have Grant Williams under uh, at least under uh, match rights for the offseason. So I think if you're Boston, you're asking for quite a lot because why wouldn't you? In fact, I would imagine or at least guess they might ask for Trey Young. Now, obviously, the Hawks are probably going to say no to that, but that's probably what I would start with if I was Boston. Um, and that, from there, you get to Murray and everything, everything else. So I'll just say this. For me, practical world, the Hawks, if they really wanted Jalen Brown, have to put basically anything on the table outside of Trey. That includes DeJounte, that includes AJ, that includes Jalen, Kongwu, whatever. Um, you have to include somebody that makes some real money to make to match the salaries. So that basically means the list of guys who make real money other than Trey are Hunter, Murray, Collins, Capella, and Bogey to make so, sort of be the financial foundation of a deal. But then you got to think about like the Hawks still have some draft picks they can trade. They have the Kings pick. They have a couple of picks they can still trade. Uh, although some of their picks are, un, are sort of encumbered by the Murray trade, et cetera. Um, and then you have these sweeteners slash, you know, really valuable trade pieces like AJ and Jalen and a Kongu. So I don't know what it would actually look like. I'm not going to try to guess exact packages, but I can tell you that it's probably more than you want if you're a Hawks fan. And I'm not saying that you that you wouldn't do it, but more than you want to give up. It, it would probably be a little bit of pain associated with trading for Jalen Brown because he's that good. And um, well, this is a guy who, I, again, I describe as an all-star level player. That's what he is. It would cost a lot. It's supposed to cost a lot to get that kind of guy. If Murray's not in the deal, that means you're trading like, you know, a base salary plus like a lot of other stuff. If it's Murray and other stuff, then maybe a little bit closer. But if you want to get a situation where you have Trey, DeJounte, and Jalen Brown, you probably have to trade AJ and Jalen or whatever it's going to be. So don't be uh, upset about that. I, I, if this happens, this sort of escalates. I will do a lot of talking about Jalen Brown. If there's even a shred of a rumor, I will be talking about it quite a bit on this podcast. But in the meantime, because I got a lot of questions about that in the last couple of days, especially after they lost last night, it got even hotter. So I figured I'd answer a little bit now on the mailbag question. I do appreciate the question from Donnie and from everybody else to ask questions. As always, one more time, at BT Roll on Twitter, at Locked on Hawks on Twitter, also Locked on Hawks at gmail.com. Also, you can become a patron of mine over at patreon.com slash BT Roll, where I write some stuff about the Hawks. And uh, please rate and review the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, etc. Please subscribe and auto-download. We're also on YouTube, so like and uh, subscribe to the show there. Spread the word for us if you enjoy this Hawks particular program. Tell friends about it. I do appreciate everyone who's already done that and uh, definitely does not go unnoticed. So thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to the podcast and helping us spread the word. That's it for today. I have some stuff planned for later on this week and then hopefully into next week as well. So please stay tuned, subscribe to the podcast. We'll see you next time.